are here to talk about Pan's Labyrinth, which is a 2006 fantasy horror directed by someone save name for me, so I don't butcher it. Here, thank you. So I thought what would what would be fun before I read the uh, synopsis I got from the internet is if you two told me in five words, like described in five words, what this film was like. Here you can start. Oh gosh. Um five words. Can I can I Uno reverse card to my own? <laughs> um, yes. Yes you can. Um well I'm gonna be really weird and cryptic about it and just say rebel uh, woman steps fascist. Yes. Yes. Beat that here. I think um um I think it'd be symbols present death and birth. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, I haven't actually thought about it, so um <laughs> um um good, evil, innocence, vagina imagery. That's my mm. <laughs> Yeah, that's that. <laughs> Stay on point. Right. So, Pan's Labyrinth follows a young girl named Ophelia as she wait there. I can't even read my own writing. As she move as she moves with her mother to an army camp to be with her new stepfather, who's a captain there. At at night, a fairy like creature who followed her to the camp leads her to a labyrinth where she meets the fawn, who tells her that she's actually in another life, was a princess of a long-lost magical kingdom. In order to return to this kingdom and escape the real world, which is not very good and bright for her, Ophelia must complete three tasks to prove that she really is the princess that she thinks she is. And then that's basically the film unfolds. So, was there, has everyone seen it before, or was this anyone's first time, as it is first-time films? It was the second time, and I completely almost forgot what happened the first time I watched it. So it, it, technically, you can yeah. kind of count it as my first time. Well, do you know what? I, Heather had never seen the film, right? For the listeners, Heather's my girlfriend. And he, well, that's the thing. Heather told me she'd seen it. She told me she'd seen it as a child, and it scared her. And I was like, well, let's watch it, because it's my like third favourite film. I was like, let's watch it together, and I've seen it hundreds of times. And then I put it on, and she was like, is this the film you're talking about? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, this whole time that I've been talking about Pan's Labyrinth, she thought I meant like Labyrinth with David Bowie. She had never, <laughs> she had never seen it. And she was like, oh my God, is this, the, is this what everyone's talking about? So every single time we've been in film, like talk, and somebody's talked about Pan, Pan's Labyrinth, she thought we meant Labyrinth by David Bowie. So with David Bowie in it. So, I, could do, I could describe David Bowie's Labyrinth in five words. On you go. David Bowie tights budgie deed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I but this is the thing, I've never seen Labyrinth with David Bowie in it. So Oh, oh guys. It's a rubbish <laughs> film. It's a rubbish <laughs> movie. And it has inserted into one of the catchiest songs you'll ever hear into this utter mess with film. I know what song you're talking about because it's on TikTok. It's one of was like, you remind me of the babe. The babe with the power. What babe? The babe with the power. What power? power. power. The power. You do. You do. <laughs> yeah, I know you that. do. Remind me of the babe. Yeah. I love it. 
maybe next week we'll do a podcast on that one. We'll just cover all the films that have lapids in them. Yeah. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah. Every film that has the word labyrinth in it, us three will cover. What does that give us? What do we have next? I don't know. Pan's Labyrinth, The Labyrinth, what else? Dude. The only other film I can think of that has a labyrinth, not in the title, but in it, is like Harry Potter 4. And that's it. If it was just that just mm. has labyrinths in it, then we could do Alice in Wonderland. Oh, true, yeah. Um, We could do. Does Never End in Story not have a labyrinth in it? Well, it does, I don't yeah. Think so. Does it? Oh, I think it does, yeah. I don't think it does. Um, there's also The Voyage of the Unicorn, the made-for-TV movie. That has a labyrinth in it. Don't know if you've ever mm. seen that, but as someone who's obsessed with made-for-TV movies, mm. I have. I think The Secret um, Garden has a labyrinth in it. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm what is, sure. what version, though? The newer or the old one? The old one's better. The old, the old one with Maggie Smith. I think yeah. That's the old version. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know there was a new version. Yeah, there is. Uh, I think thing. the second Hellraiser film has a labyrinth in it. <laughs> Okay, well, well, what we'll do is, David, when you're listening to this to edit, we are now pitching that we would like to do a series, just us three, where we just do films that have labyrinths either in the title or just in it at all. <laughs> um, thanks. First time labyrinths. First time labyrinths. <laughs> and then eventually when COVID's over, it, it turns into a video series where it's just us and a labyrinth. I'm really good in labyrinths. Like, there's one close to where I grew up, and I would always be is the there? first one to get through it. The only labyrinth I've actually been in has been, like, in Disney World. Not Disney World. I've never been to Disney World. Disneyland Paris with the Alice in Wonderland one. Mm-hmm. And I did cry because I did get lost. And I was, like, seven, so. Could I describe my mental state as being a constant labyrinth of which I can't find my way out? Or mood. I think Big that's mood. the only way to describe anyone's mental state. Because you are just stuck in your head, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the film. Who was everyone's favourite character? This is what I like to start with. Mercedes. Hands down. Mercedes. Mm-hmm. I love her. I adore her. She is my knife wife. Like, honestly, all I need in a, you know, in a female character is giving a female character a knife and letting her stab someone. And yeah. I'm absolutely in love. That's... Yeah, I think you're meant. I think if you don't like her, there's something wrong with you. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. What about you, Kier? Oh, I, you know, I really couldn't. I, I think one of the. I mean, every part of this film is a strong point, but each of the characters do exactly. The, you know, Captain Vidal is probably one of the best fascists you're ever going to see, most mm-hmm. evil fascists you're ever going to see on screen. Mm-hmm. Ophelia is like such a charismatic and rootable for. Young protagonist, and then obviously the yeah the fawn is mm-hmm. so because he's so ambiguous. I I'd actually adore the character of the fawn mm-hmm. because it's one of the few films where in a film where character is so important, he does a brilliant job as never really being able to figure out what the fawn's intention is or what the fawn yeah. actually wants to happen to uh-huh. Ophelia. Definitely. The Fawn is my favourite character because I think the whole way through until the very end, you're so sceptical about, because obviously Mercedes says quite earlier on in the film, like my mother told me never to like to be wary of fawns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then you're like planted in your mind, what if this is all a trap? Like, 
what if it's all made up like what if like and then obviously you're like at, at, towards the end of the last task is they want the blood of an innocent and he's expecting Ophelia to get handled with her little brother and then you're like oh my god the fawn's been evil the whole time we've made a mistake and then right at the end obviously you get that catharsis because it turns out like that was the final task of her not to give it and then he's in and you can sort of see the complete change in his body language that him being sort of sketchy the whole time was an act yes because at the very end he's like very like his body language has completely changed very open and and welcoming and like actually genuinely happy that she's there whereas the whole time you're thinking what is going on like is he dodgy yeah i think um sorry man i'm gonna go I just love like his distinct kind of creepy vibes that he has. Yeah, it's like like you you because like, obviously even if Mercedes I think hadn't said that you know to never trust trans he just has that kind of creepy vibe like though just the yeah. way he moves and his face and I think it's the second time she sees him he like eats something and every time I think he's eating a fairy but obviously he isn't but it's just also the way he does it's like a voice. piece of raw meat. Yeah, something like that. And it's just, you expect him to at any point actually snatch her up and, like, eat her or something. Uh Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we watched it and he handed Ophelia the... Oh, the little plant, I forgot what it's called, um, to, you know, get her mother better. Every time I just think... The mandrake root. Yeah, the mandrake root. Every time I think, oh, is this actually going to help? Or is he trying to get her mother more sick? Like, like, Mm -hmm. even though I technically know that's not what he does, I have that suspicion I think he just does a wonderful job as this ambiguous grey character. Yeah, and I think it definitely, his character is there to make you question if you should always like fall face first into believing fairy tales without any caution, and he's like sort of there to make you second guess like whether or not that this is like what he's promising. What were you going to say here? The, I was, no, I completely agree with what both of you are saying. There's a masterful thing with Del Toro's work in that he brings these mythological creatures to life in a very faithful um, adaption, adaptation of what they were in the original uh, mythological texts. But so I think why, why that that's why the the, the fawn is like this trickster, um, and he does seem benevolent at times, and he does seem like you know without uh, deflating it, like he's putting on putting on a bit of a wind up for her. But he could also be peaceful. He could also be a sign of nature. And I remember at one time watching it, there is that moment where there's, he's coded with having this almost kind of nefarious sexuality too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I occasionally, I've, I've seen Pan's Labyrinth many times now, and there's, there's times when you almost fear he's grooming her for something that, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, he's, it's just, there's so few films where a character is so hard to suss and is yet so... Uh, completely compelling to go back to time and again. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and you can tell that like he is like as invested in in it as she is because obviously he says like the second time or the second or third time he sees he sees her that if she fails at the task, then the the kingdom will be gone forever, and so will they. Mm-hmm. So he's like the reason he gets so angry with her and he's he's so intentive on her completing these tasks is because he also fears for his demise but at the same time he seems like like so on the the verge of 
do we trust them do we not that you're yeah. like you're unsure the whole time until obviously the very end whether or not Ophelia is doing the right thing by listening to him and that is what make the, makes the task seem so like in like I think painful to watch because you're like what if she's doing all of this in vain yeah and I don't know. Are we? Can we sort of be spoiler wise? Can we talk? Oh about yeah, the ending? Can, no, we can spoil it. Well, there. I mean, there's an ending which is twisted and ambiguous. Ophelia's death at the end of the film mm-hmm. is, to me, shot with this. It's a sublime rebirth and reunity yeah. with Mercedes. Mm-hmm. And how many films do that where you're scratching your head, going? I was pleased that that was her fate. That yeah. was a fate better than being constrained to fascism and, mm-hmm. and being oppressed by that, that kind of Franco state. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And that, I think that the film does such a a great job of balancing, like, because obviously there's two storylines. There's everything that's going on in this, like, fascist camp and they're looking for the rebels and there's a lot of violence and gore going on with the captain and then the other side there's all this fantasy and they both like equally the stories run together and it makes you realize like she's in her own world and outside the real world is so horrible so by the time you get to the end of the film you're actually glad that she no longer has to endure all this emotional and physical pain that she'll be put through in this world and that's even what the fawn says like um, when he's shouting at her, when she th- he thinks that she's failed the second task, he's like, "You will die like a human. You will f- like, you will grow old, and you will have pain, and you will like have like have to live out in this human world, which is full of pain and misery, which is all yeah. we've seen Ophelia go through. Like, obviously, she lost her father, then she sees her mum go through this horrible like childbirth, and then she passes away, and then she's left with her brother, no mum or dad, with a, a man who hates her, and then he turns on her as well, and you just, you're thinking to yourself, is there no way out? So then when she does at the end, essentially die, you're actually like, you're like, oh, thank God. She's spared like, from the pain of the real world. Mm-hmm. You have like a cry, but it's like a really cathartic cry. Like, yeah. it's still is somewhat of a mm. happy ending and you know her eyes and it's even though you know Mercedes is like obviously really traumatized and really sad that and like you know mm. really unhappy that she dies it's still so a happy ending for her but I like that it still has this bitter a bitter sweetness to it which uh-huh. I feel like it, it just fits the overall fairy tale style of the film because the film obviously takes that magical fairy taleness and like twists it in a bit more of a darker more kind of realistic mm. um mm. more nuanced kind of fairy tale and I think the ending fits the way the film uses fairy tale magic throughout it just so so well I I, I agree. I, I One of the many things I enjoy so much about Pan's Labyrinth is how accurately he, uh, D- Del Toro and, the, and everyone who works in the film and the artists, captured what Greco-Roman myths and fables had, the tone of them, the darkness of them. You uh-huh. know, I remember my mum mm-hmm. telling me things like, oh, you know, when you watch these Disney films about Cinderella and those original tales, the, the, the sisters cut off their own toes to try yeah. and be able to mm-hmm. fit into the slipper and you know the in Pinocchio the tortures that he goes through are utterly grotesque mm-hmm. uh, which is why I'm so excited to see Del Toro's going to do Pinocchio 
the mm-hmm. fear and the monstrosity uh, and the violence uh, of it makes it even more of a faithful fairy tale to me. Mm-hmm. I actually think it's one of the only this one is so special to me. I do think it's one of the only really genuine fairy tale films that's ever been made. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. It's like Disney it, is, you know, trying with these new, like darker. I'm doing quotation marks, but now darker retellings, like modern ones, and it's just not hitting correctly because yeah. it just kind of feels like, like I, I enjoy them but they feel very kind of twist like not twisted in the good way they, they just lack that nuance that mm-hmm. you know the film yeah. still has because as I was as I was reading up for today I, I read this quote that like completely in one sentence got like what I was thinking about the film where it was like the film the whole point like there's loads of themes in the film obviously with like the birth and the rebirth and the death but the like there's loads of themes but like the main theme is that if there's a fight between good and evil then there's no place for innocence and that's like what mm-hmm. the film is trying to show you and I just mm-hmm. thought that was such a perfect quote for like in a, in a sentence what the film is about because it's basically saying that in even though it's a fairy tale and it's fantasy there's no there's no place for innocence even in a fairy tale like there's still the dark the gruesome the real life struggles that she has to go through even to achieve this going back to the kingdom which is actually just her death do you know what i mean yeah and that's what i really like that it doesn't it's not hiding and then even ophelia's mum says just before she dies that like there's no there's no magic in real life and that she needs to stop burying her head in all these fairy tales because even if there is magic it's not whatever whatever what it seems yes yes innocence oh. always been seems to be yeah. put under so much pressure in any fairy tale almost as if to see can our protagonist get out at the end of this with mm-hmm. it still you know you always wonder that with alice in wonderland how far can she go down the rabbit hole yeah and it's interesting yeah. now that going down the rabbit hole is used as a modern idiom of going down a dark place you know where you are likely to lose your innocence yeah because i think it's obviously the whole point of like like childhood and innocence when when they go through these tasks that you get in a fairy tale i think they lose some of their innocence because they're realizing that even if they want to reach like the like magical kingdom or like look for whatever they're searching for they have to go through this journey of self-discovery and realization that things are never what they seem on mm-hmm. the outside which is i think an important part of the film mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are, are we sorry it's just checking are we kind of all in agreement that it's just like an absolutely phenomenal film in every yes. respect yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean well, we, we usually we usually rate it at the end here but why don't oh. we rate it now why don't we rate it now my, well, it's, it's my third favourite film, and I'm giving it a 10. I don't, think there's any, I don't think there's anything I would change about it, which is rare, because I usually would say there's something that you could change. I'm going to give it a 9, because there is one scene that always annoys me so much, and I hate mm-hmm. myself that it annoys me. It's when she's doing task two, you know? And the fountain tells her not to eat anything. And, you know, yeah. she gets that magical dagger. And she still eats the grapes. Like, I know she's a child. She is tempted. She is young. Mm-hmm. But it just upsets me that, you know, she a- eats it. Then the fairies try to warn her. She ignores the fairies, eats more. And she eats the grape with her, you know, back to the monster who's going to eat her. And yeah. 
I know I shouldn't be annoyed because she's a child. It's magic. She's probably, you know, starved and hungry. It's like the same kind of way you get angry and Nanya for Atman for like, you know, selling his family for Turkish delight, which is absolutely not delightful. <laughs> but, you know, he's on sugar regions <laughs> of the Second World War. So within the story, it makes sense. But every time I just get so annoyed at that scene. And that's why I have to give the film nine out of ten stars. Yeah, but I think she needs to fail that second task to really propel the story forward. But also, I know, I know. I, I think that the whole point of that bit is to be like, even though she is like, like she's been forced to grow up because her dad's died, she's moved here, and like she's always on her own, and she's always reading these books. There is a part of her that is innocent enough to think that if there will be no repercussions if she eats this fruit and then obviously there is and that's what is a, a really a turning point where she realizes that things really are as shit as they seem i know and that is why i hate myself for getting annoyed at it, but every time i just <laughs> yeah I but i understand because i was that that horrible little child that would always follow to rules because i was too afraid of repercussion uh-huh. um so like I, I'm always like in that mindset of like oh, yeah. I wouldn't have done that I, I always follow the rules which you know isn't an inherently yeah. good thing but I, yeah like I, I know I shouldn't be annoyed during that scene and, and I hate myself for it but I just can't help it and be like uh, just 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 you know eat it turned around to the monster and then run when he starts to wake up it's mm. funny you brought that up though um, I think following the rules or choosing when not to follow the rules is one of the kind of key motifs of Pan's Labyrinth. Uh-huh. It's, um, so it's a film about fascism in many ways, which yeah. is a very important narrative to be told. But the fascism always... It's, it's amazing when that battle in the woods happens, you go, oh, wow, suddenly it's a big action film. But um, <laughs> for most of it, the fascism occurs on a, a micro level. And I know that yeah. uh, when you watch some of the... Uh, uh, del Toro's earlier movies there's pseudo-fascism and micro-fascism that uh, appears as a source of evil whereas Vidal is quite directly uh, obviously the I was actually saying I mean I would have to give the film a nine as well although I think it's near perfect in a modern classic I mean one of the only modern classics I just have to be pedantic and I'll never not be scarred by the first time I saw the bottling scene Oh yeah, that's that, the, that mm-hmm. uh, It's a parable. The what's in the bag? Him not believing them. They yeah. have to believe. It's it's very fascistic. They have to believe his word. They have to believe his way of events and anything out with that. And they sweep it under the rug, even if he's a liar, even if Vidal is in the wrong. And he mm-hmm. treats Ophelia in the house that way. Those rules he sets, these precedents he sets. I always thought her rebelling and the challenge was to show that this would be the kind of person who would have rebelled against, um, you know, Generalissimo Franco Mm -hmm. and who would have been a part of uh, the fascist rebellions against fascism that occurred in Europe. And, well, they were occurring in 1944 when the film is set. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's... It's not so much that I'm annoyed that she fails the challenge. It's just like if she just would have, you know, eaten the fruit with her back, <laughs> yeah. not turned to the monster. Yeah. Like I, I, like I, like it, it's just the, the that you know she eats it with her back to the monster. That's the one yeah. thing that just bears me. I'm like, oh, yeah, break the rules, that, girl. Eat, we eat wouldn't the fruit, have but... the scariest scene ever. See that monster? I, I, I remember the first time I watched this. It was on film four, mm-hmm. uh, like 
and at like stupid put o'clock at night and my dad was watching it on the couch and he fell asleep and I was watching it too. Must have been in like primary six or seven because I remember going into school the next day and drawing with a pen on my hand the eyes and then going to my mm-hmm. friends like pretending to be the monster and then they'd be like, oh, what's that from? And then I was like, all oh, the film I was watching last night and the teacher was like, oh my God, were you watching Pan's Labyrinth? And I was like, no. Because <laughs> I didn't want my dad <laughs> to get in trouble for leaving it on because it was obviously terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I honestly think the toad is more gross than the pale man. No, I don't think so. Like, the pale man is terrifying. See that bit when the toad regurgitates the... Oh, oh. God. Oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm with because it, it, It's just gross. But like, I love, like, eye imagery and eye symbolism. Uh-huh. And I just think he looks really neat. And I don't find him terrifying. I find him kind of cool, like, in a uh, cryptic yeah. way. Like, if he wasn't eating children, yeah. I'd be like... You're fascinating. I want to have like you. I like his really skinny legs with all the loose skin. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. Did you guys ever see Austin Powers three? No. No. (laughs) Sorry, never mind. Never mind. (laughs) Never mind. I was going to make a weird comparison. The pale man. No, never mind. Never mind. Never mind. Never mind. mind, No. Yeah, but. You know, the toad is just gross and it's it's vomiting. And I find the toad just also a lot more scarier for some reason. Yeah. Maybe it's because it's more realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that could be it. That really could be it because I know that, that the, the eye, the pale eye man isn't real. And I, I think there is something almost beautiful in his monstrosity. Like the shot where his hands go up and his eyes appear. I think yeah. that's one of the most beautiful shots in all of cinema. It's it's yeah. it's yeah. as I said, I just have a huge thing for eyes. Um, I like the shot where he's in the corridor and then he like like he takes a step forward and almost like a lunch lunge position and then puts his hand mm-hmm. forward. I love yeah. that shot. Where he's like leading with his hands. The film is visually stunning. Um, mm-hmm. I always thought that because he drew the myths from multiple different cultures, the visuals were drawn from multiple different... Because, I mean, I think we've all known spending so much time in Scotland that there's that there's a lot of Celtic rune sort of in the Fawn's lair. Yeah. And it's, yeah. you know, I always thought, wow, that's a really interesting choice. But I didn't... It was only maybe a few third time into watching Pan's Labyrinth and Googling the set design... The things you learned of the research you did, you know, there was a sort of Celts. The Celts kind of arrived in Spain mm-hmm. around 500 BC, um, which is fascinating. I don't know what I'm bringing up other than the, I, I like everything in the film. It's so rich. It's so well detailed. It's so authentic. Yeah. It's so mm. loving. That is, a, it's a film of love and labor, really. You know, it's just and even trying to pause the scenes of the fawn to look at what is in his little layer i mean all of that is just it's it's more effort than you would get in so so many cinematic projects yeah it's definitely a labor of love and you can tell like every detail because there's so many not parallel storylines but there's so much going on and, mm. and and considering the film is only two hours long yeah it's incredible what they managed to fit in because not only is there the two storylines there's so many like smaller storylines like there's when they're having the dinner party and he's talking about the watch and then the watch ends up being a massive thing, like a a motif Mm -hmm. throughout it. And then also when they're talking about Ophelia's dad and the woman makes the comment where like she's talking about how her husband died and then he just happened to come into the shop and then the women are like, 
oh yeah, that seems like a coincidence, how romantic, and they're all joking. And you think to yourself, oh, are they joking because they think that like it's stupid that she thinks it would just happen by chance or are they joking because they think that he like Vidal killed her husband which I didn't even realize was a possibility until watching it this time that I was like oh my god what if he killed her husband and then you think oh my god the world is so much darker than you think it is the first time around yeah yeah Mm -hmm. that's a that's a brilliant actually is that five words because that'd be a really good the world is darker no, it's not even close. It's <laughs> not even close. That, that's a good way of putting it, though. It's about coming as a film about coming to terms with just how fucking dark and grim the world can be. Yeah, and like the thing is, Ophelia's mum and Mercedes say it multiple times throughout the film that like the world, like life is hard and it's hard being on your own and like because Ophelia's mum like obviously marries Vidal out of necessity basically yeah do you know what I mean mm-hmm. for protection and for money and for all the comforts you and Ophelia just doesn't understand that because she doesn't understand real life and then that's she has to come to terms with it throughout the film yeah I see it yeah. breaks my heart every time the mother says you'll understand when you're older you understand when you're yeah. older because from one point, you really hope that you know she won't have to understand that she won't yeah. ever be in the position to marry out of necessity. And obviously, that then doesn't happen because at the end yeah. of the film, she ends up in the magical kingdom. But it's just so heartbreaking. I think my yeah. favorite Mercedes line, which isn't heartbreaking, it's just awesome, is that you know she goes, "He will never even know yeah. your name." Oh god, yeah. It, it's like, something that should be said, though. I mean, really, like shitty fathers don't deserve the yeah. acknowledgement of fatherhood yes. just because they did the bare minimum. To, to make something you know it is so hot when she says that like as i said already women with knives it's like the first time i watched the film and like he like the captain was being like really creepy to her and like giving her the coffee to taste i was just sitting there like i hope she stabs him because that's like my my general response when i see a man being creepy towards a woman i just go i hope yeah. she stabs him and nine out of ten times i'm right and the woman ends up stabbing the man so i find that very satisfying yeah, and very her last words to him it's like he will never know your name then his brother shoots him it's her brother shoots him it's just so satisfying yeah. and I, I just find a I know I probably shouldn't but I find just incredible hot when she says that line because yeah. it's just like yes you tell him mm-hmm. speaking of Vidal I think he is an, an incredible like villain in this mm. I think because he's he's so like from the start not only is he unlikable, but like he's never he's never likable at all. But he's so incredibly evil that it's just it like it's so well played. Especially I think the scenes with the like when he when he's talking to his captives and then also with the doctor. Oh, I think that's insane. Because yeah. I when 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 you first see the doctor and he's given Ophelia's mum medicine, you're like, is he a bit dodgy? Like, is this? like mm-hmm. he seems like he mm-hmm. might be the bad guy and then he ends up helping and then yeah. and then you obviously feel really bad because he gets shot like three times in the back and it's just insane that like you don't under like I feel like you because even going into this film you're like you don't understand how shitty their situation is until Vidal starts smashing people in the face with bottles and like cutting into their hands and shooting doctors when his wife's about to go into labor do you know what i mean mm-hmm. and he's just so and he doesn't like like you said he doesn't care about anyone but himself 
and it's just so evil, which is obviously compared like as part of the film, like it's the show the evilness of like the fascist fascism as well. Mm-hmm. Um so what was your favourite Vidal moment? Mine was when Mercedes cuts his mouth open and then he stitches it back mm. up himself. Oh. Yeah. That was a beautiful beautiful scene because not only is he like cause he, he says, Oh, she's just a woman and then they all leave and then she start like stabs him twice and then cuts his mouth open and then when he's stitching it back up you can tell that he's like so annoyed that he like let his guard down but then he's looking in the mirror and then you can tell that he's like almost loving it like he's loving the drive it's given him he's like i've Mm -hmm. been stabbed in the face and now i'm gonna be even meaner so what about you what was your favorite moment with him in I think I just really, it's, it's more of an aesthetic thing is when he wears his sunglasses because I mm. think that outfit, even though, like, I mean, I hate the uniform because, well, fashions, but, like, you know, when he wears the, the tiny sunglasses, he just looks really cool. Like, every time his mom, I'm like, yeah, yeah, this 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 is working for me. This is a fit. You're you're smashing it. You're you're doing your evil thing. I'm, I'm enjoying you're it. You're doing your evil thing. Yeah. Also, I just really kind of like it when he gets ready because it kind of, like, just shows when, you know, he first shaves himself and then he, you know, polishes his shoes. It kind of just shows a kind of different side to him, like how well he's put together and what he cares about and how careful yeah. he is about that that watch. And I just, I think that's, mm-hmm. it's a really interesting way to see this. Like, you know, I, I don't know. They're, oh, God. <laughs> that noise was, am I still in the call? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. My internet is a bit weird, so. so, so yeah, I just heard a noise and I was like, "Oh God, I'm 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 out of it." Um, I forgot where I was going. I just yeah, I just I mm-hmm. I enjoy him for his aesthetic a lot too, other than yeah. just being evil. Yeah, he's very calculated in every way, including the way he looks, which I think is important. I'm I'm glad that you guys brought up the things that I just want to jump on the on the on the train of yes, one of the great things about Vidal. Is like the obsession, the obsession with the watch. The the whole performance is so well integrated and precise with his movement and stiff. But bringing up that outfit, the slate grey, buttoned up, tiny black sunglasses on, I think that costuming for Guillermo del Toro is a big deal. Obviously, you know, I, I, I when you watch any of his films, there's something of the 1970s. Pink Floyd, David Bowie, mm-hmm. Mick Jagger, kind of rock god to all of his characters. You know, the Fawn kind of looks a bit like David Bowie, circa Ziggy Stardust in some mm. moments. And there's not saying that he was by any. There's a lot of good films and books that have brought that have lampooned fascist uniforms as being overtly glamorous you know it's almost mm-hmm. ridiculous how much they it's a big part of Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Five and you know recently I thought that Taika Waititi nailed that and Jojo Rabbit how much time yeah. Sam Rockwell and the other ones spend and you know, when you see them at the and, end yeah. and they, do, they look like rock stars too you know especially considering how everyone else in the film is dressed and how little everyone else has yes. and then they're spending yeah. all this luxe and it's all it's so self-serving that you think mm-hmm. that you need to be so obsessed and into yourself to really take that time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and it, it really shows the 
His outfit is so gregarious and just stupidly well-ironed and well-pressed <laughs> compared to what everybody else wears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't not see him as a... Um, he's rightly kind of cartooned for it. But it's just a very nuanced, very powerful performance. If there is one scene in particular, though, I mean, I already kind of brought it up, but the... God, that I never... I was really scarred when I first saw the, the bottling scene. Uh-huh. I actually think that was the only thing that I was probably too young to see when I first saw it. It, it sticks out like a sore thumb in that film. Yeah, it's like I almost have to skip it every time I see it because it's just too brutal for me. I just I just can't. That moment with the the rabbit farmers is like the first time where you realise how cruel Vidal is and yeah. like who you're dealing with because yeah. he just completely ignores what they're saying, thinks they're lying, beats the son in the face with a bottle while his father's watching, kills the father and then finds the rabbits, has absolutely no remorse and then asks Mercedes to cook them for dinner. Oh yeah, it's just so gross. And it is yeah. important that it happens so early on because you know that Ophelia's relationship with the Vidal is going to be based around lies and trust. Yeah. Ergo, you spend the next, I think, like, hour and a half. Because it's so violent, you just think that he's going to be that violent again. We're going to see that again. Yeah. I know, but the only actual violence that isn't emotional that he does towards Ophelia is when he slaps her across the face. Yeah. Mm. Which seems so shocking but considering the other things he's done to other people isn't actually that bad. So you, you think the whole time you're expecting more, I think. But he's, he's especially because she's a child, I think he obviously holds back. Yeah. But anyway, so do we have any closing comments on Pan's Labyrinth before we move on to the news of the week? Well, we do a roundup. Do you want to try your five words again and see if you can, after our chat, concise them into something different? I I honestly don't think I could actually, the more I think about it, and just as we've said a few times now, it is such a rich film with so much going in it and so many Mm -hmm. storylines going on. I actually can't think of any film harder to do in five words. <laughs> in fact, maybe Magnolia by Paul Thomas yeah. Anderson. Oh, you know, there's oh. very few films that are so broad. You can't even summarise that in 50 words. No. Well. I think I'm just going to stick with my hot rubber woman stabs fascist. Yeah, I think that's good. Yeah. Can, I, uh, can I go for... Um, couldn't recommend... It enough sick. Sick. Nice. <laughs> yes. Nice. Nice. I think I'm gonna stick with good evil innocence uh, vagina sy- vag- vagina symbolism. Mm. Because there is a lot of vagina symbolism in it. Because it's a lot like like we were saying, it's a lot about birth and life and yeah. especially like I didn't I actually didn't think about this until the second time I watched it and then after I had read that there's a lot of like birth sim- like symbolism where like she goes into the tree and when you look at the tree it's shaped like ovaries and then when you get yeah. in it it's like being inside the womb apparently and that's why it's like so like fibrous under the yeah. tree <laughs> do you know what I mean so there's a lot of a lot of symbolism that like is there that I didn't pick up on the first couple of times and it took like reading articles to sort of understand where it's coming from but I think you get as you're watching it without even thinking too much into it you understand like the points it's making about birth and life and death and like how 
like innocence is protected because Ophelia's innocence is protected so much throughout the film by the women and then as they as they either like her mum dies and Mercedes like runs away and then she, she she's left alone with the baby like you realise that her protection is sort of gone mm-hmm. until the very end where Mercedes comes back but it's obviously too late and she's been shot so anyway cheery ending to a cheery film <laughs> yeah <laughs> But, like I said, one of my favourite films, because I think it's, like you said, it's so rich in not only, like, it's not only political and historical, it's all also beautiful. It's got a beautiful score. Mm-hmm. I listen to the score mm-hmm. quite often. Um, the the And also the cinematography is unreal. Oh, yeah. I know just that, like, a lot of the cuts are very, like, soft, where, like, the camera moves behind a tree and it cuts to a scene or behind uh-huh. a wall. Like, I don't think there are any, like, really harsh cuts. No. Really it. Yeah. Especially, like, and also the places where it cuts, it then revisits at the end. Like, mm-hmm. I, I thought about that, too. Like, when, after she comes out the tree and then she gets her dress and it's covered in mud, it cuts to a branch on the tree. And then right at the end, when it says, like, once the princess returned to her kingdom, like she left behind things in the real world mm-hmm. that that like showed that she was there. It does the exact same like soft cut to that tree branch, but there's a flower on it instead, mm-hmm. showing that that's where she had been. And I think that's really interesting because there's so many little revisited motifs throughout the film yeah. that you wouldn't you wouldn't pick up on like the first time round. So it is like a film that you could rewatch and rewatch and feel like you've still not fully understood all of the little like things it's trying to get you to understand yeah i fully expect to rewatch it next and be just as moved with additional things you know yeah i'm never mm-hmm. disappointed by how giving pan's labyrinth does as a film mm-hmm. definitely yeah and also just like really scary as well because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's down as it's down on google as a fantasy war film but I've said fantasy horror because I think it's quite scary, but I don't really watch horror films, so... I think it can definitely be classed as a horror film. Um, yeah. In, in isolation, the pale man scene is probably one of the best horror <laughs> yeah. pieces in cinema. Definitely. I think so. I think the same. Right, Manon, since we've already done our scores earlier, I'm a 10 and you are both 9s. Do you want to lead with the news piece? Right, so the news piece this week is the cast of, the so far announced cast of Knives Out 2, that's hard to say. (laughs) And everyone is just going crazy about who's in it. Um, So, um, AJ, you haven't seen the first one. No, I haven't. It's like a murder mystery, isn't it? Yes, but yes. It's, uh, you you think you know who's done it, but you don't. And then you think you know who's done it, and then you don't. It's just, it's like three really big twists in it, and it's just, nice. it takes that who's done it kind of thing and just completely fucks with your perception of yeah. it, which I really enjoyed. Um, like a really good game of Cluedo. Yeah, oh, essentially, yes, yes, that's that's <laughs> what it's like. And I think it just really... Pays off. And I mean, the, the cast of the first one already, in my opinion, is amazing because you've got like Chris Evans, you've got Jamie Lee Curtis, you've got Daniel Craig, and um, oh, I forgot her name, the, the, the main character. This is really bad. Um, Ama Amas, I think. Um, 
and it's just already full of incredible people and then you read the news and it's like excuse me they put Janelle Monet in this oh my god Janelle Monae yeah like, so good. It's, it's just you know Knives Out 1 was already for a bisexual person making me really struggle but mm-hmm. um, you know Knives Out 2 is just giving me everything I ever want in a film with Janelle Monet. The actress who was in One Division, whose name I can never remember, and Edward Norton now as well. Yes, Catherine Ham. I'm just like, I'm living for it. I'm really excited for it. And I hope that at least one character will return in a cable knit sweater. Yeah. I heard about the sweater. That's yeah, the only thing just, I heard about it. <laughs> I think the really, the, the interesting thing is that men in Hollywood are obviously just... Well, maybe not just, but they are also quite sexualized. I and mean, I feel like we never talk about this. We always talk about the male gaze and how women are always sexualized. But so are men, you know, having this constant pressure to, especially in superhero films, for example, you know, be, you know, have a six pack to the point where they don't drink six hours before they're shooting, which is incredibly unhealthy. And I think the joy is just to see Chris Evans in a sweater eating Biscoff cookies, telling people to fuck off. And also, you know, <laughs> Daniel Craig, who's this ma- used to be this massive sex symbol and this really, mm-hmm. you know, playing this really famous misogynistic character, just be a really goofy detective with some weird sovereign accents. Like, I just really, I think that once, you know, makes the cable knit sweater and Daniel Craig so special in this film. Mm-hmm. Nice. Oh my God, Joseph Gordon Levitt. Is he do a voiceover yeah. in it? He's in it too. I, I Has he in it too? It Not says voice. All oh, right. Is he in the second one? Like in it? In it? Do we know? I don't. Do I don't know that actually. I didn't know who was like that. Is marvelous news because I, I love Joseph Gordon Levitt. I love Joseph Gordon Levitt. Who else? I'm just reading this. I'm reading this list as we speak. Yeah. Here, what did you think of the first one? Um, I'll be honest. Um, I don't really particularly enjoy detective fiction. I don't watch it on the television. I don't really enjoy books or films centred around it. Um, I think it's quite a predictable and constricting and a genre of media with little room to explore more and more important themes. And uh, it's never, it's always been popular. It's never gone away. I remember watching mm-hmm. Knives Out on a kind of a lazy weekend just because it was sort of added to Amazon and there's something had to be watched it was no I mean I don't I don't rate it I don't think it's a particularly good film I think it was a lot of breaking my heart here here. no I'm sorry I know it's gonna be anything he's gonna be honest it's fair I don't mean to be a contrarian I just thought it was a bit silly and a bit uh, it, it it just didn't say anything at the end or tell me anything. It was a uh, lots of nice actors wearing really nice clothes, and it was very well shot, and it moved at a pace that was very easy to endure on a lazy weekend. You know, and not that every film has to be challenging, but it um, it's a it's a movie with big names on cruise control, and I reckon that the the second film will be just as kind of laissez-faire and its approach to cinema. Fair. I mean, I quite enjoy detective stories. Like, I've binge-watched Castle of the Mentalist so many times because I just, I you know, I enjoy them for 
not necessarily intellectual stimulation and more for I, I quite like them for their predictability because that you know makes it fun to guess oh who's the murder or when is the main you know detective <laughs> couple want to get together exactly like who done it I think it's fun and I would I, I quite enjoyed the film for being funny and for being lazy and um you know I think if you're looking at it from a a, a, a detective film genre kind of view I think it quite it takes a bit of a, a bit of piss of the genre but also kind of challenges and that's what I quite like about it it's it's kind of like a I feel like a you know you already said that I think a modern version of um Clue um which yeah. is my other favorite who's done it film because it has Tim Curry in it and it just oh. it, it feels like a newer version of that so the same kind of funny saying so oh who's who's, who's done it the surprise Clue. of it and I yeah, I agree. Like Clue is one of the best films. I I I really adore Clue, and I could watch yes. it over and over. I think the ending is so funny. But right. I thought Knives Out had this thing. I don't know if it's human on, but I thought the trip the triple bluff was really contrived and actually kind of lame because it was like, well, like when it's a triple bluff, you're just kind of baiting the audience and also not providing them all the. De- if you like, a lot of people like detective fiction where it allows them to play along you can be an active participant in it and you can guess for yourself but knives out dealt with clues and intricacies that were just so silly and like there's it's like that whole sherlock holmes thing of being able to solve the murder by how much the butter has melted on the table and you go well no one could do that and that's just silly that's just a superpower at this point knives out had a bit of that it, it, it had some logical leaps for me which I don't know. It, it just made it seem, oh, well, that's that's silly, but that's how they figured it out, I suppose. Are you just terrible. upset that you couldn't figure it out, Kier? I'm so angry. I finished the film <laughs> feeling really belittled. Yeah, your lazy weekend ruined because you couldn't figure it out. I wanted to know who done it and the who done it, and well, Rain Johnson MacGuffined me. And I feel like I... a chump. I figured it out while watching the film, so maybe that's why I'm really oh, enjoying the film. The only reason you like it is because you knew. Maybe, maybe it is. Right, right. so I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to Google who did it before I watch it, and then I'll look. No, don't do that, don't do but, that, AJ. The, the thing is, though, won, Manon, like, even if you did guess who did it, there was no way of guessing that was how it was done. Because, you know what I mean, like that information was just never a part of the film until the last five minutes. Do you know, do you know is that... Is that but I'm not necessarily mad about it because it just showed that I think the main character is called Martha, right? So that it showed that I like that you know the the plan of fuck. Sorry, I'm I'm spoiling it for you right now, but I just like that the plan. I'm sorry, AJ. You just it's, gotta have it's, it. it's all right. I'm I'm okay with spoilers in general. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't necessarily mind the way it ended just because you know with the our the original plan to kill the old guy didn't work because. Martha is such a good nurse. She noticed which one was the morphine and which one was the medicine automatically without looking at the labels. I kind of liked it and I kind of did enjoy the whole oh, big white family. That I, I kind of I enjoyed the commentary a bit of it. I, I guess what I, I get what you mean with like it didn't fully leave a big message or put out, but I just like that everyone kind of lied to Martha's face about like, oh, we wanted you to be at the funeral and no one can remember the country she's original from. And then it's just her with that mark that says my house, my rules, having inherited all their money after they have been terrible to her. And it's just that smugness that she has, that well-deserved smugness 
that I really, <laughs> really enjoy in it. I think it's um also shockingly for a film with so many good actors, there's like no good performances in it. Oh. Like there's no Do you know what I mean though? There was like Gears no going stand in. Gears going no, in. I, no, 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 no. Man, I did not get that impression like they spent a lot, a lot of the money on the cast, and you were like, "You, you brought it up yourself." Jesus, like Daniel Craig's accent—that is a pest take. That yeah, but that's on purpose. I really enjoyed that. I think it's really fun. I, I, I don't think he was meant to portray it seriously. That that's because it's not a serious film. It's supposed to be silly. Like he talks about the hole in a donut. That's how he talks about the case. Oh, uh, I hated that bit. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. I think your problem was that you went into this film expecting it to be like a serious crime film, not a crime you know, comedy. I actually went into the film expecting it to be stupid, and I don't think it was stupid enough. I think it like I didn't like how it kind of couldn't decide between being a clever who done it and being a parrot. That's why I think Clue is phenomenal because mm. it's just an out and out satire of the genre, and that's why you know the best. What are the best detective films like? Um, Seven or what? I was going to say seven's my favorite detective. Zodiac, like they just get the tone dead on. Uh, Knives Out wants to have its cake and eat it and just ends up with this kind of silly Daniel Craig somehow figuring it out. And you're like, oh, Uh, yeah, I I guess that's my main problem with it. I just think the tone is a bit all over the place. And I expect the second one will have that too. It'll be a big mishmash of tone. And there's a really heavy handed, like, political message battered in there. Like breaking a, you know, oh, it was so politically deaf, I think. Sorry. I just don't <laughs> like it. We're, we're meant to talk about the cast, and yet yeah. Keir's just ripping into the original. I'm so sorry. Keir, did you even look at the cast list? Well, I, I think all of the actors, if, if, uh, and that have been announced being the second one, are very, very talented. Uh, the, oh, the clear one that sticks out is you have three traditionally very talented performers oh. and Dave Batista. But seemingly, Dave Batista can do no wrong in the eyes of Hollywood. So, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, the guy is kind of gold. Yeah. I'm mainly excited for Janelle Money, even though I've still yeah. not seen... I will watch the second one before watching the first one, just because Janelle Money yeah. is in it. She's yeah, phenomenal. Just... So, I think the general consensus... Kira doesn't like it, but he'll watch it for Janelle Money. Manon loves it, be... but she'll watch it for. Sorry, I was say, is this going to be her first big film thing? I don't think. I don't think it'll be her first big film thing. I've only ever seen no. her in TV stuff before. Is it? She, she was in Moonlight. Was she not in Moonlight? Yeah, I she think she was Moonlight. In, yeah, I was about to say. Oh shit! She was really? definitely in something with her. Yeah, she was. She was in Moonlight. She's the um, oh the the wife that you know kind of takes. Uh, the main character of Moonlight in yeah. you know, the child was early. No, she, she's definitely been a couple of things. I yeah. didn't get to the end of Moonlight. <gasps> of course you didn't, Keith. Not that I just fell asleep. You hate was... great films. I just wow. actually was really tired. I need to actually go back and finish it and watch it properly. Yes, you need uh, to. Because it's a masterpiece. Yeah, also, I thought that. She was also in Hidden Figures. Oh, yes. Which I forgot about. There's three main ladies and she's one of them. Yeah, she's been in a lot. I've just googled Janelle Money movies, and a, a few have came up. Moonlight's the second biggest one she's been in, after Hidden Figures. Oh yeah, Hidden Figures. It's saying Hidden Figures is the biggest just because she had a bigger part in it. 
Yeah. It was her, Taraja P, and Octavia Spencer, who three of my favorite actresses. I really only remember seeing her in the that like what I mainly just know because I'm really bad with like film and TV. Like I did remember that Channel Four show. She was in at least it was on Channel Four that that, that she did an episode of. I'm what? sure it was on Channel Four. What are you I'm talking on about? her Wikipedia now to Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams. Her episode right, of that. Right, I see, I see. I like that. That's why I was like, I only really know her from TV. Uh huh. Oh, but she's hosted Saturday Night Live, so that was that's you, a pretty big deal. She's also just an incredible artist. Like yeah. her last album, also the visuals. Yeah. Of it. Right, so right, I just, right. Yes, it's it's art. It's also, big. I just love her for you know being trans inclusive in a video for Pink. Because yeah. you know it, this could so easily be used as like a a, a, a turf anthem, and she's like, actually, no, my oh. music video will be inclusive. I know that song. Yeah, I listened to that <laughs> album. Yeah, it's the yeah. same person. That's mad. Yeah, it's did you really know it's the same person? Oh, it's all come up. I know. I really don't keep up with people's names, faces, and what they do. It's a marvel that I can even put my own face, like, <laughs> like let alone. What- <laughs> What she's been in, you know. Um, pretty exciting, though. Yeah. <laughs> he's excited now. He's, he's realised who she is. She's really talented. I didn't realise all those yeah. albums are hers as well. Yeah. No, she, that's I think that's why we're just all really excited that she's yeah. an excellent engineer. If someone would ask me, who else do you want to be in there? I'm just like, I don't care. Just make it a Janelle Monáe. Yeah, well, that is, that is David's question. Who else would be put in it? Yeah, no, it just it's make it make it take everyone else out and just give me a one woman Janelle Monáe show and I'll, I'll be happy with it. Maybe, I, that's all I need. Yeah, maybe they could take Daniel Craig out of the film and give him some time to work on some like acting lessons or something like that. <laughs> I would say I, I would love to see Donald Glover in it because I'd love to see Donald Glover mm, and everything. Oh God, I yes. love Donald Glover. I think he'd yes. be great in this. Oh my God, you're so right. Um, I love Donald Glover and I think him and Janelle Money in the same film is like bound to to win something. I was lucky Sanfield not coming back though because he was actually one of the good performances in the first one. I don't know. I, I doesn't see whether he will be or will not. I wonder why he's not. Maybe because he thought it was too silly here, like you. Well, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe he thought it was he... too silly. Maybe he thought it was beneath him. He is in some serious movies. Uh, he's yeah. really talented. Like he's crazy good. Yeah. Well, the thing is, he got like really great. Like the film got really great reviews. So like overall, you're the outsider who shouldn't be counted with the fact that you don't like the film. <laughs> Sorry, so, did you, you say know. I'm the outsider and I shouldn't yes. be counted? I don't think that's a very good philosophy to go by, man. On. <laughs> Not when it comes to knives out. Yeah. Um, oh, do you know who else will put in it? Phoebe Waller Bridge. Get her in. I was it. just thinking that. I was just thinking that she'd be so good at it. Yeah, because her, her and Donald Glover are friends, mm. and I love them both. Yeah. And I really want them. Oh I want them God. to both be in a fi- like a film together or a show together. Because oh, they, they, yeah. said they're, they said they're going to co-write something soon, but soon is not soon enough. So I'd like to see them both in this film. Yeah. Yeah, they're both equally funny and serious, and also, also funnily serious. Yeah, I also wouldn't mind if she did like some directing on the film as well, because you know she mm-hmm. has that that power. You know, both doing Killing Eve and Fleabag, and now working on the new James Bond. He just yeah. knows 
how to write. And so she knows how to, she definitely knows how to do tone in a way yeah. that is very switchable between serious and, and not serious, because we've seen that in Killing Eve, which is insane. Yeah. It's, it's great. Maybe Kier will like the second one better if it was directed by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. What do you yeah. think, Kier? Are you telling me you don't half like an episode of Fleabag. Yeah. That, I've seen half an episode of Fleabag and never seen Killing Eve. And I've been told she's very talented and very funny. And more power to her. But I, I, I should, guys, there's so much stuff that's just out of my realm that I can't. I know. I know. On. <laughs> Why only half an episode of Fleabag? Why not the other half? Because I, 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 you, you underestimate my ability to fall asleep. At the minute a television, a piece of cinema comes <laughs> yeah. on, I'm almost out cold entirely. Is it when she turned to the camera and started talking about anal, you went, I'm actually going to go to sleep? <laughs> I would just... Wait, right, you know what? The thing is, I relate watching TV and films to being in a dark room, which is also what I relate to sleeping in. I can't uncondition my brain at this point. I see. Stay awake. We'll just need to get you into a really bright room and make you watch Knives Out too. Bright yeah, room. Get me like a kind of clockwork orange. No, no, we'll get, we'll, get you, we'll get you in the lab room that we're going to go to. Oh my god. So wait, in, the, in the middle of the labyrinth, it's just a Phoebe Waller bread screening room. Yes. Yep. And your only way out of the labyrinth is by watching her entire cinematography. Yep. Actually, no, that'd be quite cool. Make a film <laughs> or a television program that leaves yeah. clues as a code to like get out of a labyrinth in it. Yeah. Sorry, that's a silly thing. That's, that's very Black Mirror of you, Kier. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a show I don't like. Here, David's joined the call, so so don't, what you don't like Black Mirror? What what no. all of them? Have you decided? No, there must some, be one episode you like. Brilliant! Like the later ones are so. I stupid. loved the first one. The first one proper hooked me in. The, the last really, episode. The last really great Black Mirror episode was the season three Christmas special. Uh huh. That I think that was yeah. the last one that I watched. Man, yeah, that was good. After that, I've not really engaged with them. I quite like Tang the DJ, but other than that, I think season three is just the pinnacle of Black Mirror, and then after that, it went kind of meh. I just, I just love it. I love how many, how many TV shows could you just say season three was the pinnacle, and after that, I just went kind of meh? Because I can think of quite a few. <laughs> I, I can't think of many. I don't. There's not many programs I've watched past the first season. Yeah. Apart from. Um, Grey's Anatomy because it's insane and it's also like it's on one hand like I love watching it but on the other hand I love to hate watching it mm. and that's what it's about it's about it's like the most like self-depreciating form of self-care <laughs> is me watching Grey's Anatomy because I'm like, I know, yeah, I know that this is destroying my brain cells by burning mm. through it, but I also need to see it. I've watched the whole, I've watched the whole thing six times, and there's 16 seasons. Oh my god, that's impressive! I made it to season 10, and then after Christina left, I was just like, well, oh, I'm don't, so much fun. I continue watching this. Like my wife just left. So there's no point in watching it after Christina leaves. I'm not going to lie, but I stuck with it, and, and I, I continue to. I saw the spoilers about Alex and like Christina and Alex were always my favourites and I was like, I no, I'm never I'm never getting back to that show, just no. Uh, Christina's too good. But then it's alright, because Sandra ordered killing Eve, so you can get your fix somewhere yeah, else. Yes, exactly. Just like Sandra, oh, please marry me. Seen, I only ever 
saw the episodes that they showed us in class yeah. and I thought they were phenomenal. I really thought oh, that no, was that's really the thing. good TV. So, so Keir, the first time my, my sisters and my mum were always obsessed with it, always watch it, and I thought, mm. that looks like rubbish, like <laughs> trash television. Then we watched those three episodes in film, and I was like, oh my god, <gasps> this is insane. Went away and watched it for the first time the whole way through, and I was like, I had been lying to myself. before. That's insane. No. So I've watched it. I've watched it six times the whole way through since that. Since then, I think of all the things know, we watched. Oh, sorry, man. You know, when we when we watched those two episodes, Eliza and I went back and we both started to rewatch Grace Anatomy yeah. after seeing it in class because it is it is a trash show, but it's also a class show. And also, like, you, even if you get to a point in the season where you hate the characters and the storylines they're doing with the main characters, every single episode there's new patients with new mm-hmm. stories that you can just mm-hmm. get involved with them. You don't even have to like the Doctors. I think of all the things that they made us watch at university over the years, the only thing that got, like, Grey's Anatomy was on par with Toy Story 2 for the best yep. reception. Mm-hmm. Universal Definitely. acclaim for the class. Yeah, and Lemonade. And lemonades. When you watch lemonade. Of course you did, Keir, because I'm, I'm just like you said, admit that now. you hate you hate good content. Yeah. The music was so good, and good music puts me to sleep. Yeah, I'll allow <laughs> that. I'll allow that criticism. Like, what, what doesn't put you asleep at this point, Keir? I know. I'm surprised coffee. you're still awake. <laughs> I, I had a massive. I bet. I bet you stay. <laughs> I bet you stayed awake the whole time during Dr. Caligari. That's the kind of person oh. you are. No, I fell asleep instantly. Black and white. That's the one. Black and white films me even sleepier. <laughs> and with that, will we end the podcast and let you go to sleep? <laughs> I need to stay up until it's kind of late because if I go to sleep too early, then I'm scunnered. Scunnered. Yeah. Hi, David. Are you listening? I'm on my way to Tesco and I joined as soon as Keir said I didn't like Knives Out and I was like oh, fuck really? off like, you didn't know what I had to put up with until you joined David <laughs> I was like Sorry. no <laughs> like, can you not just like one thing that I like like Jamie Lee Curtis is in it like, Tony Collette by Christ you know what I mean like, Tony, like, Tony Collette is such a good actor but she's shouldn't great. Do, shouldn't do anything in Knives Out. <laughs> she does. She's excellent in Knives Out. She's yeah, excellent in Hereditary. She's excellent in Little Miss Sunshine, not Knives Out. Anyway. If you compare I, her performance, you know, with the film, she's always doing something different. She did something completely different in Knives Out, which I thought was impressive. Anyway, Two alarms went off. Uh, it's a car at Tesco. I'll let oh, you send it. Uh, Arizona <laughs> Robbins for the win. That's all I have to say. Oh, yeah. Arizona Robbins is my favourite character. It was Christina, and then Christina left. And then it was Arizona, and she's still my favourite right now. But I've not seen season 18 because they're still filming it. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things for me that was just putting me out was when they broke up April and Jackson because I never get over Lexi and Mark. So the next comfort couple that they tried to shove in our faces that I kind of docked on were April and Jackson. And then they were like, now we're going to divorce them. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm tired of it. I just want yeah. to be happy and together. So and, then, them up. and then Jackson starts dating his sister in law. Huh? Is that before or after that? I don't know. I I just you know, Christina left and I was just like, I don't care yeah. anymore. I'll, I'll kind of Christina apparently comes back soon. What? But I've heard I don't know if Sandra will actually do that. 
Mm. I feel like she's too good for it now. Yeah, I know that like Lexi showed up in an episode because Meredith almost stars or something. I was like, yeah. I should I should get back into it just for that episode because I absolutely loved Lexi. But... Yeah. Oh yeah, no, no. What happens is there. It's not. She doesn't show up because Meredith almost dies. They do like an alternative reality episode where it's like, <laughs> what would have happened? What 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 would have happened if Meredith was dead? Or no, it was what would have happened if her mum. If she had ha- if, she, if she had had a good childhood, oh, yeah. I want to see your both. I, I was going to let you finish, but then I'm so I'm so excited. Yeah. that happened to AJ, but Manon is also right. The new season, um, and it is it? almost dies with COVID, and there's a lot of people I mean, from our past that show up. Almost oh, every, every season. I've not seen mm-hmm. that season obviously because there's still because it's coming out in America, not here. I don't watch yeah. things illegally. No, um, very exciting people. I'll let you. I'll let you. Say very exciting, like all of them. Did you see George again? Uh, I can't tell you. You I can't, can't tell, tell you, me, David. David. Just tell me. You Can see you George. Me? You see McDreamy. You see. Um, I don't, um, I'm not. Do you know what Patrick Dempsey can suck my dick? I'm sick of him. You see Mark. <laughs> you, see Mar- you see Mark Sloan. Oh, McSteamy! Yeah. Oh, he can come back. I liked McSteamy. Yes. I never liked Derek. I never liked him. He was so up his own arms, oh, and he basically yeah. groomed Ned. So yeah, yeah. like honestly, yeah. the the best the best couple were Mark and Lexi, and you know Meredith Mer- Mer- and Derek should have died on a <laughs> in the plane crash. <laughs> anyway, it's anyway. Rocket Man next week. <laughs> oh, right, okay, guys. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> and with that, go watch Grey's Anatomy. Go watch Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. You haven't seen it. It's not a film, but it's been out for ages. But I'm going to start now. I'm going to brew a pot of coffee and start with season one. Yeah, do it, do it. You like season? I actually go back to season one quite often because I think it's very refreshing considering all the shit that happens. Because literally every single season, everyone almost dies at some point, and then yeah. you go back to season one and nobody's dead. Isn't there a bit where like a helicopter no. falls on someone? Guys, enough. This is a Jack Higgins ending of a podcast right now. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Let's wrap that shit up. <laughs> right. Bye. Bye. I'm Bye. 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 Bye.